As we know, the brighter a lady shines, the faster she may burn. pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host Katya and Hannah. How's it going, guys? It's going? <laughs> I don't respond to that question anymore. It's like, it's, I, I, the same, it's the same every week where it's like, could be worse, could be better. I, I feel like we need to change. Like, I know it's a polite question, but I feel like we need to change the question like, what was your favorite bird meme, even though that's like super old now, but you know what? It never gets old. It's never going to old. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it, it made more sense in the days when we used to do stuff between shows other than sit there and hope the world didn't burn fire. Like things, well, like things change. It's like, well, like, like at least I mean, aside from like the things happening outside my apartment, what happens inside my apartment? It's like, well, I watched some TV. I played some video games. I sewed some things. I <laughs> did my job and I slept and ate and then repeat for an entire year. With very something, little change. Something did happen in my apartment that has changed. What's that? I, Josh and I compromised, and instead of not getting rid of the Christmas tree until, like, March, we got rid of it today. So I vacuumed up the pine needles, and we don't have a Christmas tree. But because they're cheerful, we kept up the master lights. It's going to be great because this show Correct. this show airs like two weeks after we recorded it. So people were like, you took down your Christmas tree in mid-February and then... Um, still and still the- earlier than usual. Especially with like faux trees, they are still up. They are not taking them down because you know what? As we've mentioned on previous podcasts, 2020 with bangs is so far... I mean, it's, a, it's an improvement. It's an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to admit that my tree is still up and uh, as we record and it may or may not be up by the time, by the time this comes out. We we all need some festive stuff in our lives at the moment. And if that if that means a Christmas tree stays up until March, so so be it, you know. That's, okay. that's what I said. So hence faster lights, which I'm pretty sure going to stay up till Forever. Does that mean that you're prepared for a Regency ball, but with sparkly lights? There's the transition. There you go. <laughs> what are we talking about this week, Hannah? <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe you guys agree. We're doing Bridgerton. Excuse me. Okay, wait. Whoa, whoa. In what capacity are you surprised that we're doing a show, like an episode okay. about this? Let me, let me, let me rephrase. This seems I, obvious. As soon as yes. this show came out, I was like, oh, clearly we're doing an episode. I, it's, not, it's not so much about me. It's that I, I purposely oversold it on the things you missed episode. And as I was like overselling it, I was in the back of my mind going, I don't know how Kathy is going to feel about this. Cause like literally like the first like major scene is someone being stuffed into a corset. And like, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, and, and 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 there we go. Uh, so before okay. we get too far, hold on, hold on. Let's introduce you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're going into full in, into full like spoiler territory. And okay, so first off, before people get too far into the show, a you should wa- you should be watching Bridgerton. 
B, if you haven't watched Bridgerton, go watch it because we're about to spoil the fuck out of it. Yeah. C, I know you're going to say, or at least some of our audience is going to say, there's no superheroes in this and this is stupid. Tough shit. Go watch Bridgerton anyway. Okay. Come so, on. no, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, before that, <laughs> let us introduce the guests. Uh, so, we, we had a call for comments and, you know, we had people who were interested in the show because Hannah was underestimating us and there's definitely an audience for the show. I mean, it's the most popular show on Netflix right now. Audience. I was not underestimating our audience. We're I was underestimating was... us personally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I understand why this is surprising, but we should inter- introduce our guests. Uh, All right. Yeah. Please go for it, Matt. Turning to the show, we have Nicole Freem, who's been on several times before, our good friend. How's, how's it going, Nicole? It's about the same as she was saying. Well, I'm, I'm existing. My Christmas tree is still up. And um, yes, I've read all of the books um, multiple times long ago. And uh, don't get me started on how the corset thing is in it. No. Oh, I guess we should probably link in the show notes our corset episode that we that we've had. Um, which, which is mainly just Katia ranting with with support from people who actually know what they're talking about because they're fashion researchers. Well, speaking of that, I want to introduce our second guest, um, an, an old friend of mine who I know has not only thoughts on Bridgerton, but many thoughts on Corset. I'd like to welcome Sarah Prezonia to the show. Hey, Sarah. Oh, hi, everyone. <laughs> and I, I won't ask you how you're doing. I'll just say, are you still alive? And is your tree still up? Because <laughs> they've ruined the whole fun of the how you're alive. doing. I'm alive and my mom came planting a bunch of seeds. So I'm like already on this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. We should let people know what you do. Sarah, what, is, what do you do for a living? Me? Uh, well, I'm kind of like a park ranger, but also my husband owns a farm and sometimes I, I squish for money. <laughs> <laughs> that, you made that sound you, you made that sound like way less interesting than it actually is. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you play with plants and you're a park ranger, which is plants. actually interesting. Yeah. And um, so for context, you know, of the, the corset joke that I made, um, I know Sarah because in another life, uh, I guess you'd say you used to be because you don't really do it anymore. You were a model when I when I was a photographer. So I, I did used to be a model, but then you turned 35 and nobody cares about that anymore. <laughs> I, I care. <laughs> I love you. You know that uh, I, I always will. <laughs> But um, but yeah, Sarah had many thoughts on corsets back back when we would work together. And um, beyond that, when when Hannah posted the Bridgerton blog, she immediately had thoughts. But we should note that you said that you, you know, your husband owns a farm. You are on a farm right now. Your Internet is spotty. And so if Sarah suddenly disappears from the show, that's why. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So we're going to superhero and something more important happened. She was a superhero or is, I mean, I guess like, so Do you I stop also being a superhero. I feel like that's not a thing. You, like, if you have at some point been a superhero, I don't care if it was as, as a cosplay or whatever. You just, well, you just yeah. Didn't. Among other things, while we were working together with photography stuff, I also used to uh, write a comic strip with Maximilian, the guy who does our, our, um, our theme song and Sarah was the model for one of the characters in that. So she is, she is a cosmic Hellcat as well. <laughs> superhero. Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, she was right. actually, a superhero. but Bridgerton's not about superheroes or at least not really. What is Bridgerton about? <laughs> it, is, it is a series of romance novels that's been turned into one of the most popular Netflix series ever at this point. Uh, renewed for season two with the worst character of the series. Um, <laughs> 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 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. But I have questions okay. about that statement. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. Go I'm, I'm going like, I'm going, by worst character, I mean the worst of the Bridgertons, not like Nigel Burbrook. Um, okay. Who the creators describe as a a incel? Um, so like, mm. um, that's that is interesting. Um, but actually, like, I think that um, a lot of people have been surprised by Bridgerton because uh, mm-hmm. one, a lot of people don't expect romance novels to make money, which is wrong because mm-hmm. I mean, like, look at it's enduring literary genres in in Western literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, two, um, people are like, this is set in the Regency. Why is there a bunch of sex? And, well, like, people have... Huh. Well, everybody sex. knows sex, <laughs> sex wasn't invented until 1997, so, you know. And actually, like, um, in, like I, I know that, like, people compare it to Jane Austen because Jane Austen is, like, kind of like the big Regency thing everyone knows. Um, but if you are an 18th century-esque person like me, um, you might think about novels like Love and Excess uh, by Eliza Haywood, which honestly, like, feels like a much sexier than Bridgerton at, at some points. Um, and there, there's, like, a lot of sex going on and a lot of, like, uh, what, like what we would call, I guess, soapy plot lines now. Um, and also, like... Bridgerton has tackled subjects like class, race, and gender head on. So it's also interesting for what it is or is not saying. Uh, and we should talk about it. And it's lots of pretty people fucking, which is what the right. show was. So pretty dresses. So many pretty dresses. Which, like, okay. One of the things I think was really great about, okay, we've, we've talked about the courses episode as well as several episode, other episodes. I watch DIY sewing YouTube. A lot of that is historical costumers who make really awesome, like crazy stuff based on actual historical research. And a lot of people did reaction videos to Bridgerton fashion. One of the things that made me like recognize is how many people seem to not click to the fact that Bridgerton is basically speculate, like an alternate history. I thought that maybe the like racial aspects, (laughs) the black guy and like the fact that they acknowledge like that's not just a casting like, I mean, it is a casting decision to try and make it more diverse, but also, like, there are narrative reasons. Like, it's not just, like... Kind of. I mean, it's part yes. of the show, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's because mentioned, like, critiquing... in weird ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there, I want to get into some of those moments later, but go ahead. Sorry. But there were people that were critiquing, like, oh, well, glitter wasn't a thing back then. And basically all the costumers are, like, who normally rip apart, like... Yeah. You, you know, know all the boots being used in fashion, and they're like, "No, no, no, no! This is basically sci-fi meets Regency." Okay, look, which means we get to have we get to have glitter. Either, so let's just go with it. All right, right. <laughs> like, we, like this is this is the time for us to live all of our costuming fantasies of glitter and Regency and all of these things, and we're gonna go with it and stop raining on our parade. Damn it! Right. I, 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 like, it surprised me. I thought that was I thought like the alt the alt history aspect was was fairly obvious but it seems like a lot of viewers maybe didn't at least initially click to that i think i think some people were thinking of it as well this is period so it must be like jane austen like sense and sensibility like pride and prejudice because that's what they think of and then of course they're like well but that's not how it would have been they they didn't get it initially i don't think in fact I mean, Julia Quinn was interviewed and, you know, brings this up in an article that it is, like you said, it's it's kind of like alternative. It's speculative. It's fantasy. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, uh, for the show notes, uh, an interview with a costume designer is like, I was inspired by the historical aspects, but I also decided to, you know, lean into the fact that it is speculative and, uh, you know, go with some like louder colors and do, do like something different with this. And, and like you, you, when you read the interview with her, you can tell that the choices were intentional and that they thought carefully about what to change and what not to change. Mm-hmm. I just I think people have like this weird purist reality when it comes to like Regency era because everybody's read Jane Austen and they've all seen Mr. Darcy come out of the water. And so everybody thinks they're expert on what Regency period is. But when you have others like period or making definite like costuming decisions for that, that were way outside the bounds of what actual Victorian costume was. Um, mm-hmm. And nobody seemed mm-hmm. to care. There's a lot of that is because people don't know what these fashion periods mm-hmm. are. Like my favorite example is always like the 1920s and flappers, because like, I think that's something that a lot of people think that they know what a flapper looks like, but be, but they think of what, what they actually think is a flapper is basically the Halloween costume version, which is a mini skirt, right. which wasn't a right. thing until like the sixties and seventies. Whereas yeah, like what, what was really short yeah. skirt in the twenties was like calf length. Right. Well, and that's that was my thought because if you're talking about I mean, what Sarah was saying, like I think people have um, this idea of oh, well, the Regency didn't look like that because Regency looked like, and what they mean is Regency looked like Kira Knightley and only Kira Knightley, and that's my idea of exactly what that time period looked like. Everyone was Kira Knightley because that's the or you know Colin Firth or whatever, but like that's the that's the idea that people have in their head is like four movies. It's just you know the like, and I think that I think it is very specific. Right, right. One story told like four times in four movies, and that's like all people point to as though there were no variety. We talked on another episode about how people didn't realize that color existed before, you know, the year 1900. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Jane Austen is like dirtier than a lot of people give her credit for, uh, to yep. be honest. Um, a, um, also B. Um, uh, uh, okay, so like um, in Sense and Sensibility, uh, first of all, everybody is like some sort of erotic energy going on. Like Eleanor and Colonel Brandon are not like interested in each other at all but it makes sense that they would kind of get together there's also like a lot of aborted love plots plus in that novel you have like multiple illegitimate children and a lot of like sex uh before marriage i've heard the theory multiple times both in fan circles and in academic circles that the reason why marianne is sick is because she's miscarrying willoughby's baby and when they were like running around alone they were fooling around um and i think that's a legitimate reading um and, and I mean, there's, there's other things like that. One hundred percent makes sense. Yeah, um, and I mean, like it would it would go with like other uh, books of the period, uh, Love and Excess, which I mentioned. Uh, there's actually a plot line where the male hero accidentally sleeps with the wrong woman. She gets pregnant, and she doesn't get shunned. She marries someone else and gets away with like fooling him. Um, so like. She's fine and secure, uh, which you know you you might assume based on sense of sensibility that if you got pregnant out of wedlock, you were a fallen woman uh, to borrow some of the terms of the period, and your options were extremely limited, and you would die uh, because you know women who have sex out of wedlock uh, in the 19th century are assumed to die in poverty or you know it's <laughs> into yeah. Australia or something. Um, also, uh, you know. Like I, I do, like want to just uh, put one more note in the um, chat. Uh, Bianca Fernandez Knight, who is um, a writer, huge Jane Austen fan, works very carefully to talk about inclusivity communities. I spent a lot of time talking about like gatekeeping um, in Bridgerton in relation to the costumes. 
partially because costumes were a coded way that people started criticizing the series when they saw that it had a multiracial cast and they were racist undertones. Um, and just, you know, like there's, there's talk about like what gatekeeping is and like what it, what is like being a good community member. Um, so just another note, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. Uh, warning for listeners. I have done so much research um, in the <laughs> that you're going to be overwhelmed with footnotes. And I'm sorry to my, uh, Host and the guest, if it's it, <laughs> I'm just very excited um, because so many people have like put up such good takes. I have a question though. So, okay. You know, we, we made the jokes about how Hannah didn't think anybody was going to want to do the show. Um, obviously, we're, you know, well, it's pop culture. So Katya and I are going to jump on it regardless. And Wayne actually as well, though he's busy today, so he's not here. This was, I want to say surprisingly popular, but I don't think it's like surprising that the show did well. There have been other shows like this. I mean, the there's a isn't there a version of Emma on on Apple TV that's doing well right now for what it is. I think what surprised people was it became the number one show and relatively quickly. So it did super well for not having superheroes in it. Is basically what it came down to. We've seen a string of this, though, or at least an emerging string of this, like, uh, like right. Queen's Gambit was the other one, which also like they're very different TV shows in some respects. But I think especially like the the strong aesthetics, especially like the period costuming, even though that's more modern in the uh, 60s, like like I think it's just there's an appeal for like there's a documented appeal for this stuff. Also, like Bridgerton is just fun. And well, escapism, like, and we're all glued to our streaming devices anyway. What I was wondering so, is, you know, is it also partly that, you know, it stars girls, you know, like, yes. like, like, you know, it's not only does it star, not only does it star women, it's a, it's a, it's a particularly stereotypically girly genre, both of them, right? I think this Even gets though, into it, the, was written by a man. It gets into the bias against romance novels that right. romance novels are are by women and for women and therefore they are less substantive than literary fiction and and so you're just so used to <laughs> being starring as, iron man yeah <laughs> you know, as as lesser that mm-hmm. it's i i think that's part of it that people are going oh oh wait a minute this is fun right mm-hmm. that Oh, I thought romance novels were just, you know, quote for bored housewives or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, there's the, the star power of Shonda, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that there are pl- like, I, you know, I started watching Grey's Anatomy and I was like, yeah. And then I kind of it got weird and I stopped. And, you know, I, I watched a little bit of How to Get Away with Murder and then I stopped. I was really curious how she was going to approach a period piece. And then I kept watching it because it was so good. But I probably wouldn't have started if it wasn't for that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's I mean, the nice thing about Bridgerton was it was eight episodes that dropped all in one day. So it's not like it's not like Grey's Anatomy where you watch for three mm-hmm. years and then you just you just kind of oh, I guess I'm not into this anymore. You know, right. can, it, can it keep your attention for 24, 48, hours. 72 hours? Yeah. yeah. However long it takes you to get through it, you know. Yeah, like one of the things is also when you contextualize this particular show, I think when within like the longer history of television, it, it doesn't surprise me actually at all. And of literature, actually, because like we know historically romance novels, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like we know historically, like they are very popular and persistent genres more so than I think like romance and, and science fiction of the like 
non-literary genres, which I have thoughts about, but anyway, like mm-hmm. yeah. some of the most persistent and popular. So like there's we know that there's a very established, like honestly, like over a century, like over a century long documented market for it. Also, when we look at like serialized television, historically, the primary viewers of serialized television have been women. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. a lot of that had to do with like the the politics of like daytime television back when we you know were in the pre-streaming days. Um, <laughs> but when, when when you know daytime television originally emerged, like the primary target audience was people that were at home during the day, which tended to be housewives. So, which is why like we like romance sitcoms, things like that that relate like that that related to that audience were were popular and like the dominant form of a lot of uh serialized television. And that even though that's changed drastically in the latter half of the 20th century and the 21st century, like I think that still is a holdover. Also like that market never went away, even as I think the show shows that I think were have been made for direct streaming audiences like the net like like the Netflix shows haven't maybe always tapped into that market. I think all we're seeing is that like Netflix between like Queen's Gambit, but I think Bridgerton even surprises me less than Queen's Gambit. It's like they're tapping into what to me is like a pretty safe bet in terms of like, this is a historically persistently popular genre that they've reimagined, I think, pretty well for a modern audience. I I will say upfront that some of the titles I'm about to list are also like not romances per se, Mm -hmm. but it feels like every few years, Hollywood forgets that like women and support films um more or less and and they're like oh what do you mean that the hunger games did well what do you mean that twilight did well what do you mean that 50 shades of gray did well which like i'm not endorsing necessarily all of those things as um great art but you know make like, us do a 50 shades show one of these days just because i do not want, I don't want to read that i don't want to read it it's 500 pages and it's terribly written no like like you know uh say suicide squad um which was definitely not what anyone would call great art or uh, no, not at all. uh or you know um any one of those like you're like you know interchangeable shooter movies or are you know even the fast and furious film <laughs> i can't believe you haven't seen uh, <laughs> anyway but like like no one but Vin Diesel, from what I understand from Mav, would argue that Fast and Furious is great art. But also, <laughs> no studio is going to hesitate to greenlight another one, as we have seen from how many they've been made. So it's it's just an infuriating argument to me that we have to make over and over that yeah, women have buying yeah. power. Yeah, we like enjoy things, and also like dudes enjoy like quote traditionally female art too. Like um, I'm here. Yes, exactly. I'm here. Right. <laughs> I mean. It- but but that's the question, right? Like genre fiction always has this problem, right? Uh, like, yes. Oh, my God. Wow. We've made a successful science fiction movie in 1978. And, you know, and then they were surprised again in 1980. And then now, you know, by the time you hit 2021, it's like, yes, all movies are science fiction, science fiction movies you expect to do well. Right. But it took a while. Superhero movies until 2008. It took a while before people took them seriously. It's this is not the first I'm going to put in scare quotes, female targeted media that did well. Grey's Anatomy is on like season 57, you know, or, <laughs> I, mean, or it's, I think it's like legit 17. We figured 17. it out before. Yeah. yeah so 
So it's been going for a while. Shonda has, you know, she is a very successful producer and showrunner. She's good at what she does. And Mm -hmm. she's made, she's, she has achieved a crossover audience. Um, And okay, sure. Maybe Grey's Anatomy isn't, I don't know what's the biggest show in the air. Big Bang Theory used to be, but it's not, it's not the biggest show in the air, but it's up there enough that it shouldn't be surprising that, oh my God, Shonda has another hit should be like, well, duh, because everything that she's done has turned to gold like that. And yet every single time it's like, oh, my God, how did we get people to watch Bridgerton? And that's what I'm wondering. Right. Like, is it really surprising that men watched it? I mean, men other than me, because I'm, you know, a 14 year old girl. But I mean, like, is it really surprising that there were other men who were into this show or are is it us having is it us having preconceived notions about the audience that like aren't fair? Mm. I think that's an interesting question, because honestly, the men I know that wa- have watched Bridgerton which, okay, small sample size, like <laughs> all of them are either cultural studies people or are partners of cultural studies people or of fashion people. Like, okay. I know a lot of, okay, but still father of cultural studies person. Actually, I would be willing to bet my parents have watched it because my dad, my okay, my dad's favorite TV show is Downton Abbey. Okay, it's another one. Yeah. Like, Downton, he was obsessed. My dad actually watches more romance movies than anyone in my family. See, I wasn't um, a big fan of Downton Abbey, but Downton Abbey, good example, did obscenely well. So if Downton Abbey can do well, why are we surprised that Bridgerton can do well? Like, I, mean, I think that the answer is people really surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not okay. surprised. Okay. Like, it, it honestly seems like a pretty safe bet to me. Although, okay, I do want to say, though, I think one of the interesting things about the conversation we're having right now is that it's kind of also built into the show. I like... And I'd be interested to hear for for folks that have read the books, like if if this is also true of the books, but uh, the whole like gossip rag thing and like conceit in this show, I love. Oh yeah, and I, I like I'm kind of curious about what other people think about it because I'm like I, I I really appreciated it because it's like okay, like we're looking at a period where like periodicals, uh, like emergent periodical culture, and like I mean they're not. Is this okay, Hannah? You you know much more about this period and what the appropriate terminology is because I was about to say broadsides. That's not the word. Uh, well, wait, hold on. Though. Good question though. Who has read? I've read the first book. Sarah, have you read any of them? I have not read them. No, this is the first I've actually even known about them. Okay, Katya, you've not read none, and mm-hmm. Hannah, Nicole, you said you've read them. Yeah, in fact, I've read I think almost everything Julia Quinn's written. Okay, okay, so so she's you're the, not a novice. She's the expert. I have read up to book number four, um, which I mean, is actually the book that you discover who Lady Whistledown is, which we're going to reveal on the show. <laughs> so, so like they tease that. Mm-hmm. I, like I guess one of the things I was wondering about, like the the sort of like Lady Whistledown like gossip column, like. I know that there's like society, like like record, like uh, in the in the Regency period, like there are like society columns and things like that. But like, I guess is this also a fantasy element of the show? Because I don't know histor- like I don't know much about the the periodical like Re- Regency periodical culture to know. But I think it's a really it's just fascinating. I, I really are you enjoy asking it. if it's a big deal in the books, or are you asking if it was a big deal in real life? Well, I'm asking if it's like is this a histor like is this a thing that has historical precedent? And I'm also Wondering if like the the same thing. I'm assuming this uh, the same or similar thing plays out in the books, where like reality is shaped around print culture and specifically lowbrow print print culture, because that's what gossip columns are. Well, having read only the first one, she's. I mean, 
She is a she is a presence in the book, but a much smaller presence than she was in the TV show, at least for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. I mean, like, so she is um, at the at the beginning of chapters. There's a paragraph each time from her column and then people are just mad about it. But it's not like it's not like an ongoing mystery in the first book, the way I imagine just based on how the series went and hence from the first book, how much it will be in later books. Nicole, you I love the- how it, it basically gleaned and like the whole idea of it was basically a complete ripoff of Gossip Girl. Like, yeah, yeah. The way it was very much the like Gossip. Yeah. And I love that it was Julie Andrews because I thought that was just such a great touch. <laughs> that honestly was like the best casting. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was perfect. Yeah. Well, I think... I think in in the time period, gossip sheets were, I don't know that they were necessarily, you know, shaped the community. I mean, sort of like shaped events the way you're saying. But I, I do know, especially, I mean, if you read excerpts, the, the convention was to not mention people by name. Mm-hmm. Right. So that sort of part of the twist, right, of I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to name everybody just flat out. Um, and that was mentioned in the book, too. The book does say yeah, that right. her popularity mm-hmm. is where where most gossip sheets say Lord R or Lady W. Whistle, uh, Whistle down just flat out says, yeah, Anthony Bridgerton. That's who this was. It was Anthony Bridgerton. And I saw him do this. So that was but one of the things right that made her special. That she has a smaller it is a smaller role in the books that it's more reporting. I mean, there's you see the people reacting to it a lot. Right. Um, in book two, one of the characters counts every time she has been mentioned. In <laughs> Down, right. That she keeps track of that. Um, but yeah, it's not. Um, and especially the whole the whole plot with the queen and we need to uncover who it is. That's that's created strictly for the show. Is Whistledown the same person? The books, yes, it is. Okay. Interesting. I thought that was really. Out, I didn't. Yeah. You don't find out until book until book four. In in the first book, Penelope is mentioned like four times. Like she's, I mean, she's there. Yeah, she yeah. exists. The feather, but she's it's not. A main not character. There, I mean, nobody's a main character except for Daphne and Simon. Like it, it's it's Daphne and Simon's story, and then her brothers and sisters are there. And they appear as necessary to progress their story. Um, and then like the Featheringtons live next door. So they're mentioned a couple times. You see them at balls. Most of their subplots are not in the first book at all. As I understand right. it, they're ripped from later books. Yeah, there's the, like the uh, showrunner has given a lot of interviews, Chris Van Dunsen, and he's um, mentioned that he wanted to expand the world because it was a TV show, even if they're trying to follow the sort of, you know, one book, one Bridgerton kind of thing. Um, I, I put, by the way, in the show notes, um, more on scandal sheets um, in relation to Bridgerton. Um, but I, I do I do want to talk about the difference between Lady Whistledown in the show and the books a little bit, because uh, mostly about the show, because it seems like Lady Whistledown, um, not being an expert, but reading um, up to book four, where we do recognize it's Penelope, just like um, they revealed in season one. Whistledown seems much crueler in the TV show. 
Uh, like, yeah, she's, well, she's more, she got more personality, certainly. Yeah, I read, I read the, I read the fourth book yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. But uh, the entire time, it was like emphasizing that Lady Whistledown doesn't pick on like the invisible people. Lady Whistledown is only cruel to those who are cruel, like Cressida uh, Cowper. She like has never revealed anything personal, and. That is strictly not true based solely on the new uh, plot line with uh, Marina Thompson and how Penelope mm-hmm. uses her role as Lady Whistledown after she promises Marina she won't say anything to reveal that Marina is pregnant and trying to trick Colin Bridgerton into marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge change um, with a lot of implications that I really think are worth taking a look at that plot line and talking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah really change it because you if if you know what's coming if you know that Penelope is Lady Whistledown you really sort of feel that wow she crossed a line Mm -hmm. and you do see that she's upset about it like when she goes and sort of cries on Eloise's shoulder about it but but you're right in the when she did that I I thought wow she's She's being mean. Mm-hmm. She said, "Whistle down in the TV show is a bit more mean." And even, even publishing that stuff about Nigel Burbrook and his, you know, kid in the country, you know, was a little pointed. That usually in the excerpts, whistle down is a bit more uh, suggestive, but not direct. So I wonder if we're moving into, and this is this this is going to make this sort of an interesting thing because we we usually have this conversation at least on our show about adaptations of like superhero stuff right like where we're talking about well this isn't how iron man really did this this isn't what spider-man really did and it's not it's an adaptation right it's a different reimagining and again i've only read one book out of i think there are seven main books in a short story book eight, in the series so like eight eight bridgerton's eight books okay so i've read one out of the eight right so of those like <laughs> If they'd done a a direct translation of that first book, because it is very much a Daphne point of view, almost everything is just her story. It would have made, frankly, for boring television. Like if you're going to do an ensemble cast, uh, this the way the story and I enjoyed the the series much more the you know the TV series much more than I enjoyed the book with a few exceptions that we'll talk about in a little bit um I I greatly preferred the way it unfolded on the on TV but it just it has to be different and they are different characters like um yeah I'm not I'm not I'm not, I'm not arguing that like yeah. adaption should be different what I'm saying is the because it's different the implication is different yeah. and and the fact that like Penelope throws her friend under the bus and like if you read a yes. Jane Austen novel you know what happens to women if you watch the series you mm-hmm. rem- you'll see uh Portia Featherington take Marina out into the street where um they're like into a working class neighborhood and mm-hmm. show her like children begging and being like this is what awaits you if you don't agree to marry this awful man who treats you like property and like looks at your teeth um mm-hmm. and which you know marina is played by a black woman which also has other implications mm-hmm. as many people have written about so well i found everybody yeah. cruel around the tv show which i liked yeah. mostly i mean like the t- um uh, nicole and you and i were talking about this sort of offline before we recorded I found just in general, everyone dislikable on TV in a way that made them more interesting to me as characters, which is, which is to say, I like them as characters. I like them as characters, but everyone has more of a reason for me to not find them to be wonderful people 
than I do in the book. Daphne has flaws in the TV series that she does not have in the book. Simon is meaner. Whistledown is, is obviously meaner. Penelope, I assume, well, Penelope being Whistledown, I assume is meaner because I've literally not had a line from her in the in the book because she's only appeared four times, like just sort of off page. I think you're right. I mean, that, I mean, because you're right. We were talking about that, that the the characters in the books, like when when you um, I don't remember if it was Hannah or Katya who said the least favorite character is getting the next series. Mm-hmm. Anthony was not nearly that much of an asshole in the book. Mm-hmm. No, he's and, not. He's loving. Yeah, he's actually kind of loving to. I mean, he's he's a dick because he's a guy in that time period, but he's not as much of a dick as he is on the show. I think you're absolutely right that the book as it was written wouldn't have had the same impact on the screen. I mean, like the additional storylines that they added. I mean, they, they're related. It's like they're mm-hmm. cousins. Right. And I think it was, I like this. I like the series and I like the books. But they're clearly not the same. Mm-hmm. The, the addition of Marina Thompson. I was, I was really intrigued because that is a character who figures in the fifth book tangentially, but we never met. She was, I mean, okay, spoiler alert. She was dead before the book started. And now she's like a character on her own. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, are they going to come back to this if they keep going in other seasons before we get to what would be five slash season five and Eloise? Mm-hmm. Or do we just or do we just completely, you know, maybe we just deviate, which is fine, too, because there are things I mean, I would imagine the story, given that what we know that we know Penelope is whistle down, right? That changes your perception of books two, three and four entirely. Um, I mean, yes, obviously, like Nicole, you knew going in because you'd already read them before you started watching the show. Mm-hmm. But now everyone will know for season two. So it changes your perception. It changes your perception of the book. Um, And I I don't know if that's bad. That's fine. You know, I mean, I mean, I I guess like the I would one like to see Penelope take some sort of culpability for like what she's done. I mean, it works. Quote, it works out for Marina in the best way that it can, given the way they wrote it. Um, I like because the agency was cruel uh, and show is quite cruel at times, um, which is, again, in keeping with a lot of 18th and 19th century literature. Um, And I won't say how it ends, but, you know, like the fourth book does focus on Penelope and Colin Richardson and their relationship. And there is no Marina um, in in that scenario. But given the changes in the first season, I'm very curious about how writers would get us TV viewers on board with the relationship in a way that makes sense, given what mm-hmm. Penelope did and how she hurt both of them with her actions um, and like how like Colin will react if when he finds out about Whistledown in a way that has to be different from novel. Like there's no mm-hmm. there's no way the the book, the way the book plays out is how it's going to play out on the TV mm-hmm. show. And you I- might yeah, like. Sorry, Nicole, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, you're absolutely correct that that what they did now, if they keep going, has really complicated Colin and Penelope's story. Um, I I, I kind of hope it, it keeps going because I really want to see what they do. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I'm also curious 
Um, in book two, it, it is mentioned explicitly that Penelope has lost weight. Yes. When she mm-hmm. first came out, she was too heavy and people made fun of her. It specifically mentioned she's lost, she's lost weight. Mm-hmm. Got to admit, I'm curious as to what they're going to do, if they're going to address that or if they're just going to go, nope, she can look however she wants to look. Colin will still fall for her. Mm-hmm. So you're wondering if they're just going to make the actress lose weight yes, or, if they're, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, and they might, who knows, or they, or, or they could just, I mean, or they could just, it could just not come up. Right. Because exactly. no, no one's race ever comes up in, I mean, the novels don't explicitly, I mean, the entire thing about the, you know, the fact that, that Simon is black is not a thing in the novels. But technically, I don't know that he's not. I mean, it doesn't say he's not. It doesn't say Simon, a white guy, you know, it just never mentions his race. So they could just skip it. They could just skip it completely. And right. I, I would be fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if because it's it's Shonda and they're trying to be more, I guess, inclusive. And I'm I'm hoping that includes body positivity that, that she's mm-hmm. not expected to lose weight. Mm-hmm. I, I actually just got done reading another romance novel that grapples with the long history of fat phobia in romance. And mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we, we all have watched the makeover um, like scenes mm-hmm. in like, a, like, like princess diaries, which Shonda rhymes actually sure. were princess diaries too. Like princess diaries has a makeover scene, which, which is basically like, we will give Anne Hathaway curly hair and then we will make it straight. Um, which <laughs> was really good for my self-esteem as a kid. Um, she also had braces, didn't she? <laughs> didn't she also have braces at one point? I don't remember. Glasses. Yeah. No, it was really good for myself. She just like a fairly normal bookish teenager. She she wasn't even unattractive. It was like which is always why like I yeah, those those show, like the weird like makeover montages. You went from a normal looking human being to a supermodel, I guess. I don't know. I'm just gonna re- recommend for the listener. For the, I've got to recommend for the listener, not another teen movie where they where they <laughs> agonize over what the makeover should be, and then they're finally like, "What if we just take out your ponytail and take off your glasses?" Oh my god, you're amazing! It's an explicit thing. Not though. Um, well, and I, I, I do, I do think like actually, like in some ways, not addressing the the weight thing would be seems like it would be more in keeping at least with the themes of the television show. I think because I mean mm-hmm. because of the racial aspect mentioned, and I think also like. I would almost even even if I would find it the weight being a non-event, despite the non-eventness, like more interesting, just because especially we don't see that in period like period costume pieces all that often. Mm -hmm. And like even when there are, you know, characters that aren't I won't I won't even say like overweight, like that aren't like very quite thin. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) In Regency dramas, they're always cast as like somehow like they're never like main characters they are almost always like people who are working in service or they're somehow people who are like, they are the butt of the joke because mm-hmm. people don't like them because they don't fit this very narrow idea of, of yeah. beauty, which like Richardson does do. I mean, she's shown being Penelope's shown being ostracized because of her weight, mm-hmm. but like, but she's still given like she, but she's still an actual character, especially. I mean, I think, I think that's part of why making her whist, Miss Whistledown is interesting. Right. Well, the novel does make a definite point of saying that Daphne is not particularly attractive. It, it does the thing where it's like she, she, you know, she's not ugly, but she's rather plain, and boys mostly don't notice her because they think. I mean, it does. It, it does. This is a this is a move that one makes in a modern romance novel quite frequently, which is you don't want the heroine to be stunningly beautiful 
beautiful because you want her to be accessible so that the presumed female reader can place herself in that place and say, oh, she's just like me. And Bridgerton, the novel or the Duke and I is the first novel. It does make that point about Daphne. And Mm -hmm. that's not mentioned in the TV show at all because Phoebe Devaner is stunningly gorgeous so and they don't try to like make her plain she's just pretty and everybody likes her and Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a big deal of it one way or the other so they've you know they've put a little bit of the fat shaming in just to let you know that it is part of um of penelope's character and i i think they'll just like leave it at that is would be my guess uh, I guess we can transition now since we're talking about, um, you know, some, some of the changes, to the adaptation, most controversial scene in Bridgerton, I think it's fair to say both in the Duke and I and the television series is scene of rape between Daphne and Simon. And there are changes between the book, um, <laughs> the television show. So how, does, how does that play out in the well yeah actually i'm kind of curious though before we before we even get into how it's different um because this was again what nicole and i were discussing offline which is why i invited her did other people find it rapey yeah it's yes. a non-consensual sex it's a non-consensual sexual activity ergo okay well, He's saying, wait, well, no, wait, don't, wait, don't talk about the book yet. Yeah. yeah, don't talk about the book yet. I mean, just from because because Katya's only seen the show and you definitely found it rapey, right? Sarah, you've only seen the show. Yeah. And I and, I thought it was it was a little rapey. OK. <laughs> All right. That's a that's a, that's what I that's what I wondered, too, because at the time that I saw it, I'd only seen the show and it was like, I don't. And, and my impression when I saw it was. I don't think that played out the way they probably wanted it to because it was uncomfortable and like I like I I read it as I don't think that's supposed to be rapey but it felt kind of rapey. That, <laughs> that's how that I saw my reaction as I was like this not having read the books I was like okay this seems kind it, it felt a little like out of character for the show and part of that yeah. is because I I think okay part of it is just because I have a general thing about representations of sexual violence in TV shows anyway which is a different episode but like it just should, didn't feel like it fit with the storyline of the TV show. Right. We should let the uh, listeners know what happened. Point. And because Hannah, oh, well, sure. Nicole had definitely read the books first. Hannah, had you read that book yet or no? Oh, I only read the books after we did that. So, so in the, in the show, um, basically what happens is that Daphne figures out that, uh, Simon has been lying to her about his ability to have children and which like, I feel like we should get into in a minute about sexuality and Bridgerton, but that's, that's a different uh, topic um, related. And so as they're having sex, he is on top and then she flips them over and he feels himself about to ejaculate. And he says, I'm making this sound extremely clinical. I guess, I don't know. I'm very bad describing things. And he, and he's like, looks panicked underneath her and says, wait, wait. And she keeps going and she's figured out that he needs to ejaculate inside her because right. he's previously been pulling right. out as birth right. control. Right. We'll, we'll talk in a little bit about the weirdness of Daphne's ability and inability to understand how reproduction works in the book and the, and the TV show, which is a little different actually, but like, so that's a, that's a weirdness in and of itself, but she basically, I mean, I'll be less clinical than Hannah. He, she forces him to come inside of her because she's trying to get pregnant and she knows that he doesn't want to. Yeah, and I I, I, I also, 
Yes. Like, I, by definition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I also want to say that uh, there has been an interview with the showrunner um, and asked him about this and said, you know, readers view this as a rape scene. So why do you feel it necessary to adapt the scene in this way? And he said, quote, we are a show that allows our female characters to be complicated and to be far from perfect. They often have to make complicated choices. In the writer's room, we discussed this, that scene at length, felt that the female characters on the show, Daphne especially, should be allowed to do just that. She should be flawed. She should be able to make questionable choices. We felt a responsibility to the story of the education of Daphne Bridgerton. And that scene is very much a part of her story. I mm-hmm. think I think part of the scene's design was to raise conversation. The conversation that the scene has brought up around consent is an important one to be having. It's one that we encourage or encourage audiences to engage in. The show can only present our commentary and we can only present our critique. That's what the show does and what the scene is really about. As storytellers, we can't pass judgment on the decisions Daphne makes, but it was important to us to understand why she's making those decisions. I think the why is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And about that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like I, I do I do appreciate the like the, the aspect of the conversation. I do agree with that. I think especially like having a TV show this popular that addresses the like is is candidly addressing the fact that men can also be victims of rape, which was not something we see as frequently. And I think also like I will say that it, that I think Bridgerton at least seems like it gestures towards taking like actually addressing rape as an issue rather than like as a convenient dramatical dramatic de- device. Mm-hmm. I do have an issue, however, with the idea that this fits with the storyline. And I think part of that is because Bridgerton has a tendency to collapse time periods or like the, the, the extent of time that passes between t- particular events. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like like basically in the course of a very short period of time, Daphne goes from like being extremely naive about the world to dominant woman also raping her husband. Like basically, she does a complete one eighty in like what seems like a matter of days. Huh. Okay, I'm interested there because so I agree with you in my internal time period of just watching the show, and this does match up with the books. I read it as being maybe a week or two after they got married. Even then, though, if you if you even if even if you take take like from her realizing basically that he's lying to rape. Like even just like the fact that that is a one eighty like over yeah. the course of weeks, sure. it's like her fun. Or like she is previously depicted as, as being like a relatively submissive person and like very concerned about propriety mm-hmm. and very concerned about like her behavior towards okay. other people. And like, okay. I guess the argue could, argument could be like she just like snaps, but like I don't see that either. Huh. Okay. Like, like also at the beginning of the series, she is very concerned about consent when it comes to her choices. Yes, and, right. and her own experiences with Nigel Burbrook, and it it I, I just it seems like it seems like consent like she understands consent in two different ways when it comes to her than when it comes to her husband. And there's a really like there have been some really good analyses of um scene and just it, it doesn't seem to like show like talks about like we offer our commentary, but like does it? Because I, I think like someone, yeah. I think the analyses like that say this show like makes him beg for her forgiveness and puts him in the wrong yeah. are yeah. correct. I am curious about like Sarah's point of view as somebody who's who hasn't seen it and then Nicole's because Nicole's the only person who had read it first. So that's why I want to save hers for last. Because <laughs> okay. I don't want to get clouded. I will say that like I agree that it seemed very out of character, but I kind of read it as like she is very concerned with with propriety and in society and all of the mores that are correct for the time. 
And yet I think she was so like the most important moray of that time is for her to get pregnant. And so I feel like yeah. to me, I kind of read it as she was like, well, I don't effing care. I need a baby because That's, that is the only thing that makes me whole. That's where I was. Cause again, and I feel a little differently about it now that I've read the version and I'm trying to still separate book Daphne from TV Daphne in my head, but cause, cause watching it and it did seem weird to me when it first happened. And then I had four more episodes to get through and I right. oddly became more comfortable with it because like I said before, I think everyone on the show is sort of problematically flawed in frankly, pretty big ways. And right. that changed. I mean, so I agree with everything Katya said, and that made me okay with it because that for that, for me at that moment, mm -hmm. Daphne became a liar, like Daphne's yes. every, everything up and, and, I don't I didn't feel as though the, as though the the show excused it for me. I for me at that moment Daphne went from being good girl to oh you're just kind of as much of a dick as everybody else in this world doing whatever it takes to get where you need where you feel you need to be including raping somebody that you profess to love. And well, I, I think one of the yeah. <laughs> one of the things I'm mean, thinking this through more as we're talking about it is I think I think like when I was going back and kind of like preparing notes for the show, I realized like how much this show is slut shamey towards Simon. Yes. Like, cause she repeatedly jokes in like er the early episodes, like referring to him as a rake, which is basically like, you know, Regency slightly, I mean, not quite, I don't know if it's quite the same as calling someone the, like a, a, a male whore. It's like, has a little bit more. It's exactly whore. that, isn't it? Like a fuck boy. <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's more like fuckboy than, than like whore because I think that there's more of a like acceptance. Like Simon is not shunned from society for being. Oh, a sure, rape. sure. Like, He's I guess also is what I'm, rich. Yes, yes. Right. Right. I guess that's why I'm making the distinction. But like she she does like basically slut shame him, and I think that there is a logic of like oh mm -hmm. because you've had sex with lots of women before, like what I'm doing is fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, like, whoa, really? Because that's not how I read it. I mean, I mean, that's that's well, that's I interesting. That. I don't know if that's necessarily the best reading, but that's a reading I could see because I don't know that she. <sighs> like, I could totally see, like, if you put it in the context of like the, the historical period that's kind of that's trying to represent, is sort of like okay, they're like, I mean, because obviously this is alternate history such that it is. This sure. is obviously the time where like rape and marriage does not. Exist. Like that's not a considered sure. a thing. Sure. Um, so like I like I like I, I like the I appreciate the okay. reading that like she's trying to attain what's expected okay. of her, albeit in a way that we don't expect. Okay. But I think See. a lot of it is also like I don't know that she like I think I, I can't remember if it was Hannah or, or someone else, but like I don't think she respects consent when it comes to men, specifically Simon, that's... because he has that reputation. See, like, I read it slightly differently. Because like I, I think because when she's obsessed with consent in the beginning it's specifically like her consent but i think also feminine consent in general because mm -hmm. there's this expectation of purity politics the men don't have the same expectation of purity ergo i could see huh. i could see an argument where basically she doesn't think of consent as being an issue that applies to men can i ask a question katia do you well okay well let me ask you a question do you okay. think that daphne thought she was wrong because the way i read it was she does and again, it's weird. I thought she knew she was doing the wrong thing the entire time. And, oh, I did not. and then she was and then she was like, fuck it, this is what I'm doing anyway. So that's a so oh. I read it as more I read it as more more premeditated in the TV show. Like she is like, oh well, he trapped he trapped me and but I need a baby and he lied to me. So 
this is what I'm going to do and to hell with the consequences. So I agree with that reading, but I don't think that she thought that she was in the wrong. Like, I think okay. because I think and it may be because it's in like an eye for an eye situation. Yes. Yeah. That's but I think I like mm-hmm. because she's convinced that having a child is the appropriate thing because she goes, I mean, the only reason she's initially okay with not having children is because she believes that Simon is physically incapable. That's right. like respectable. Mm-hmm. Refusing to have children, however, goes against like the entire society she's built her her life around. And I mean, and she she talks about having issues with that at a few points in the in the series because like being a wife and mother is the only thing expected of her. But I don't he thinks what she's doing is wrong. Okay. I, I don't I think know if she problem. necessarily thinks it's good, but I think she thinks it's like the correct like. I guess I'm try, trying to draw a distinction between like what she what she thinks is morally good or bad and what she thinks is correct. Like I think okay. what she's she she's she I I my at least initial response to that is I, I think she believes what she's doing is correct. I don't know necessarily I don't know. I don't know that she feels icky about it. Because okay, like, I think she does. I don't think she feels icky then about why it. Why is the one that she's too. but then she goes in and guilts Simon? For yeah. It. yeah, I don't. The I TV don't think she's so sticky. Okay. And the TV show sides with her. Like, yes, yes, that I agree. Does that it, I agree? Which bothers which me. Means it does weird. not critique it, which means mm-hmm. that it it which when everyone like when the you know the people like were citing and like in our own cars, like, like, it means that it, it's le- like it's a it, it might be set in the Regency period where consent was an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, uh, Love and Excess, Pamela, like uh, Evelina, Emma, like there's there's always like threat of rape or or in those books um mm-hmm. in one way or another we are and, and that is carried on to romance um novels today um still are, are you know another example wonder woman we won't get mm-hmm. into that different mm-hmm. show but <laughs> i mean like like non consensual sex is everywhere um in our media and the show like doesn't critique it and the the showrunner refuses to critique it the way as well in his answer and so which do with that? feels like she gets a pass because she's a woman yeah well yeah i think part of the whole problem is is that that issue of having children or not is basically half the book yeah and so they're they're I think it's one of those things where sometimes you see him, you see something and you're like that. Why is that there? Because it mm-hmm. was in the book. Mm-hmm. It's the plot and, of the book and it's a subplot on the show. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think this was what they did to, to cause the marital tension that then has to be resolved. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, don't know that they had to keep it. I mean, I, I appreciate yeah. the article you, you know, you, you, you quoted and I can see that they're saying, okay, we're not gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead with this problematic scene. But at the same time, they made it worse than it was in the book. Yes, by far. Okay. Um, I, I had yeah. read the okay, book so multiple the book times. Because like, I, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I had never once thought to myself, wow, that scene is rapey. I okay. had thought it was inappropriate. I mean, I thought she was wrong, but never in my head did I think, wow, rapey. And, you know, a friend of mine even wrote to me and said, I heard there's a rape scene in Bridgerton. I'm not sure if I should watch it because I'm afraid of getting triggered. And I wrote her back and I said, well, it's probably not what you're thinking it is. I don't want to yeah. spoil it for you, but okay. And so she watched the show and then she's like, yeah, that wasn't what I thought at all. Okay. Yeah. So in the book, for those of you who haven't, haven't read uh, it before, before you describe it, I, cause I, cause I do want you to give the plot because so 
I had the weird opposite feeling. I'm wondering about this from Hannah too, because I, again, I watched the show first, right? So then I'm going back and reading the book and I know it's coming. And then it's just like, eh, well, that's different. And again, I'm not, because once, once, once Nicole explains it, I'm still not okay with it, but it's very different. I mean, so, I, wonder if, yeah, so I was wondering if Hannah, did you feel that way too? Like going I thought, the opposite? I mean, it's, it is different um, it, it, because of the context. Um, but it, I, I may, I, I just, I, I'm not sure like how the TV show influenced me, but it, it felt like rape. And in fact, in some okay. ways, like, like it, it emphasizes like certain circumstances that have changed that, uh, well, mm-hmm. I guess I'll, okay. I'll let Nicole explain. Let Nicole do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and let me say I can absolutely see how people who had just read the book would look at it as rapey. I'm just saying that me personally, I had not applied that term to it. I did think it was wrong, but I just hadn't used that terminology. Mm-hmm. So in the book, Daphne doesn't have to go to her maid. Daphne and Simon have just had sex, and she's finally figured out that it, him pulling out is the reason that they can't. He's not going to get pregnant, and they have the big fight about. You know, saying you can't have children is not the same thing as saying you won't have children. And, you know, basically Daphne then moves into a different bedroom and and Simon gets mad and she's like, hey, you're going to withhold a child. I'm going to withhold sex. Just Mm -hmm. go away. I'm still really upset. Simon goes off and gets drunk, comes home. He's banging on her door. He's drunk. He's worried she's going to leave him. She says, you need to go to bed. He winds up falling asleep in her bed. And he's like, no, you have to stay. Don't leave me. And so they wind she, up. She does, she does let him in. He doesn't because she, she's worried about him because he's falling over. He's like, he's shit faced on the door, not breaks yeah. it down. But yeah. so in the morning, she wakes up. He's still there. He's asleep. Basically, he, you know, she's like, oh, morning erection. Oh, and it's more sort of a opportunity thing that they start they are sort of sleepily making love and then she realizes if I get on top I can control this mm-hmm. and then afterwards basically he's then fully awake and he is devastated his stammer comes back so he's embarrassed and he leaves and it's not the whole I'm not letting you out of my sight thing it's he goes off a different property and basically then they're living apart for almost two months because he doesn't even want to be around her right mm-hmm. See, so it wasn't really, that makes so much more sense to me yeah there's, there's a consequence <laughs> in the in the show because i watched it again i watched it again last night um you know when he comes in and he finds her in the room and says are you ready for bed and she's sitting there staring at that picture of his mother and she's contemplative it really was much more to me premeditated. Yes, that's exactly show. what I was going to say. It's entirely premeditated. I have a question about the book. So, because in the in the TV show, basically, he's trying to. He's basically saying no. Does that happen mm-hmm. in the book? No. He's, yeah, he's intoxicated. He, yeah, and he right. kind Which of intoxicates over. Like, yeah. realizes at the last minute that that kind of suddenly realizes what's going to happen and he and he does sort of you know say you know we'll wait 
and um but she yeah. i believe the the line is she bears down <laughs> i paid very yeah i paid very close attention because i was because i knew we were going to have this conversation it's so the book is better at this conversation because the book opens up a question of uh, you know and we have this question a lot in media about women's rights not so often about men's but the book mm-hmm. opens up much more a question of when is it okay to say no and it, it mm-hmm. comes across very much in the book to me as though okay they were fighting but she was worried so she let him sleep in the bed they you know she starts playing with them and making out with them he does fully wake up it's not like he, she just fucks him while he's asleep he sure. wakes up he's into it and he's more now i need you now yes want, he's, you know and but, she gets on top right. and he's like i want to watch you but he's hungover and it's early in the morning and how capable of consent is he probably right. like he is so yeah. The reason this makes more sense to me mm-hmm. is, is I, I think that like that the scene you've just described, and again, I haven't read the book, but like the scene you just described to me makes much more sense with Daphne's character, what we know about Daphne's yes. character, even though like it's not any less rapey mm-hmm. really, but it is more understandable because up until that point, like Daphne isn't she I mean she she definitely is manipulative in some sense like the whole entire like orchestrated like lie thing that she has like mm-hmm. she is manipulative she does lie like we know that but I think like the immediate escalation I feel like that happens on the show it like feels odd that scene feels so much to me because that's much more about like taking advantage of a situation that's already happening than the premeditated which is what she does even with the the entire like orchestrated lie with Simon is she mm-hmm. takes advantage of situations she doesn't seem like somebody who outside of the rape scene is mm-hmm. like I, what's what's like like proactively like evil i don't know what I, like proactively <laughs> manipulative in that way so that the just book, makes yeah the book gives yeah. her gray it give, the book gives her moral ambiguity that the TV show doesn't. And it's in it. And that's kind of it's weird because it, so he doesn't say no so much as again, in the book's very much in her. It's not first person, but it's very much from her point of view. So mm-hmm. she is aware that if he were thinking straight, he would pull out. And she's like, oh, this is my chance while he's not thinking straight and he's about to orgasm and he's not doesn't know what he's going to do. I'm going to get pregnant right here. Like, so she knows she's being manipulative, but it's a spur of the moment thing that makes her it it gives her moral questionability, but it doesn't feel. And in fact, you even do get a short scene with him where he's kind of how could she do this to me? Or, well, to be fair, I mean, I was saying yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You you know, like like he he talks to the consequences make sense. Right. Yes, I, because the consequences and the reaction in the show don't in the, like, and again, is that like how much time has passed? Kind of thing. They don't really make sense based Plus, off of what's going on in the book. Part of part of what complicates it is that right after he's like I said, he's horrified and his his stutter comes back, and he's yeah. having trouble speaking, and she has just like has also the past few days found out that he had a stutter because she didn't know. She didn't know Mm -hmm. about that either. And so she's sort of looking at him and he feels, you know, he's feeling like I, you know, I don't pity me to think badly of him. And so it's sort of all one big complicated mess. I just think she comes off. She comes off more conniving and calculating in the show. And in the book, it's like Mav said, she, she makes a, she sees an opportunity and she takes it and it's bad and she feels guilty about it later. Mm. But she's, I don't, 
I don't know. She doesn't seem as um, mean about it. Well, yeah, it doesn't seem as it, it sounds like it, it just doesn't seem as like intentionally trying to hurt people. Right. As it as it kind of comes across in the show, because the show, it like genuinely seems like at that point, she's decided she gives like zero fucks about Simon. I mean, like even human the, being. the framing of that scene with the music and the lighting mm. just like it, it it sets it up for you to have a very specific reading of that scene. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I will say the the book also just has for me I, the the scene was just as upsetting to read, but for different reasons. Um, well, because they try to make it very sexy. They, uh, it is very it is very much written like a it is very much not, written not like a porn scene. Just like just like you know like the fact that he was intoxicated, the fact that yeah. Um, you know, like in yeah. uh, following the tradition of, you know, like I, I multiple Amazon reviewers were like, and I was I was particularly upset when I discovered that Simon like threatens to rape her um when they're having their fight. And it's you know, um mm-hmm. it's 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 when it when anyone wa- says, you know, I, I don't want to <laughs> Like you know, watch Bridgerton or read romance novels because of like their problems with consent. It, it, it you, you can't really argue with that. Like and, and I and you know it's it's also like a you know, a thing that as I said was has been embedded in the genre and talked about before on different episodes of the show as well. And it's just uh, like it honestly like with Bridgerton and you know Wonder Woman coming out on the same day and having the same problem to yeah. mention all the other shows. It's like have we moved forward at all on this issue? Like. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, well, like, especially we, we, when it's like, and this is my issue with rape scenes in a lot of shows too. It's like, I don't know that that, uh, like in the TV show, I don't know that that scene was necessary to tell the, to- the story that they were telling. Like, I think you still could have had the same conflict and end with them getting pregnant and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think you, it was necessary to build the drama. I don't think it was necessary to tell that story. Like, I get that it's in the book and there's, you know, reasons to mm-hmm. replicate it. But like, but I think that's part of what's disappointing about the show because like about that scene in the show especially because at that up until that point it's a fairly like even though it's like dramatic and there's dark moments it's still a show that i would call like relatively escapist because it's like this alternate history and like the fashion and like that episode kind of kills it so i want to ask a question then before we transition to other issues about bridgerton just to sort of cap this off um i know hannah and katya have both seen wonder woman sarah and nicole have you guys because you you know Okay. Well, you mentioned them both coming out at the same time, Katya, and then you know, have we really transitioned? And I'm like, the one, the one thing that I am wondering if you know, we've transitioned is, or you know, we've re- improved, or however you want to put, say it is. Yes, I think we have because what's interesting about the two of them is that both Wonder Woman and Bridgerton, yes, they both have a questionably necessary rape scene, but both of them are rape scenes of women raping men. Which I don't think that happens. Uh, I mean, at least um, we're having this conversation. No, it doesn't happen enough. It's happened. It's happened a lot of times. Like once upon a time, uh, like Fringe actually has. Um, okay, Fringe. Yes, has like okay. some dubious consent in the same way that Wonder Woman does in the terms of whole mm-hmm. body things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I, those are like just the two examples that popped in my head. But that's yeah. Well, I'm just, I mean, not as often as women being as women's consent being violated. No, I think I that's fair. No. Yeah. I think it's also important to be able to tell stories that talk about consent without automatically going to rape because because of the triggering issue you're basically Mm -hmm. making a a tv show that otherwise a lot of people would probably really enjoy Mm -hmm. i mean like and basically excluding them from that 
Like, this this yeah. is my problem yeah. also with uh, like with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Like yeah. you're basically saying that people who have experienced sexual violence because this yeah. is not a safe show for them to watch are not going to watch it. And I'm not saying that like art needs to be safe for everybody. I get what, but I get what when you're like you you are making that choice as a person who's making that. And I think especially when it's a very popular TV show, I take issue with it because it's like okay, you're taking something like well, like, like Game of Thrones is probably the better example because it's like that was a multi-year phenomenon. Where like if you weren't like watching Game of Thrones, people kind of thought you were weird, mm-hmm. even though I can totally understand why if you are someone who is triggered by by sexual violence, you would not want to watch that show. I want to like I'm one of those people I'm like, I don't want to watch a show and support a show that like thinks that this is OK. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, what is so upsetting about Game of Thrones is one did not have to have as much rape as they did, because while like of consent and rape are like a part of the storylines in the books they like turned consensual sin scenes into rape scenes mm. also they took mm-hmm. characters that are like that can be read as like explicitly anti-rape and who have been like traumatized by sexual violence and mm. they like made them rapists mm-hmm. and i'm just anyway but you can tell you can tell like stories about consent that Katya was talking about without being explicitly be like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And I want to kick it back to one of our older episodes where we talked about the favorite, um, which is another, um, you know, we talked about royal TV and movies and we talked about the favorite and it's so different because it actually talks about consent and like addresses like, the rapiness of the 18th century explicitly without doing glamorizing like it. without glamorizing it or, or even just like yeah. explicitly showing something like outlander for example um well and bridgerton itself does it yeah yeah in the early episodes those episodes are all around questions of consent that have nothing that like around marriage around like relationships like and there's no rape i mean like even <laughs> uh, it's doable and, and 18th century novels like you know do that um mm-hmm to some degree, depending on what novel you read. I was just going to say, I think there's this really interesting thing that's starting to happen where like, you know, you were talking about like how, how far have we come regarding rape in, in media. And I think what I'm starting to notice is that we rape is still happening, but it's now becoming like a, a character development for like, oh, now this person has agency. Like, I feel like you saw that in Game of Thrones with Daenerys, like she was being raped, she was being treated like cattle. And then like when she like got her dragons and came into her own, everybody stopped fucking with her. Same thing with and, Sansa. And, but then, but that, that but that, and, but with Sansa in particular, that was, you know, her saying like, I'm glad this happened. And like, it was some really just like mishandling of that mm. storyline. Um yeah but and i feel like with bridgerton it's kind of similar like that's kind of what we were seeing with daphne like she's this tiny submissive person and you know it's really it seemed out of character but it was sort of like all of a sudden she figured out how babies like where babies come from and then she was like fuck i'm gonna take a charge of this and i'm gonna do it like and it is sort of like you were supposed to be like yeah girl she came into her own and it's problematic but i feel like that's the the weird trend that we're seeing with like how rape is now being depicted as almost a empowering somehow an empowering thing yeah Yeah. i think the fact that it's the rapist that's the person being empowered makes it to me even more upsetting oh it's very it's very gross i'm just noticing it (laughs) oh yeah absolutely i think i sort of wonder they they change so many other things why Mm -hmm. why Why not change that they have figured out a way to to do that differently to have the the conversation and the conflict but not do that i mean again i can i wonder you know okay we're we wanted to address it well but yeah okay you didn't do it you know what honestly 
if they were going to the changes they made to it made it worse because I I think that if I'd read the book first like Nicole had I would have been a little more forgiving of it in that like I have a problem with it in the book but it's the it really is the premeditation the fact that she had all day to sit here and figure out how she was going to rape him makes it worse than than like in the in the book it is very explicit that he's mad but and that she knows that he she knows he's not thinking straight but that he didn't technically stop her right like he he even says that you know if i weren't so turned on and which is again problematic in an entirely different kind of way but it just i think i I think that you could have that yeah it was bad in a different way that makes it i think more of a conversation and a less of Mm a wow she just became a villain you know which is what yeah yeah. in the book and then they just made it worse worse yeah Mm -hmm. so I do want to, Sarah just mentioned, because I want to make sure we get to this before we run out of time. Uh, the fact that <laughs> one of, you know, because my, I mean, it's lighter, but my, you know, one of my biggest problems with the show, and this is less of a deal in the book, oddly, but still, still kind of a problem, is that Daphne doesn't know where babies come from. Um, and, and in the book, it almost makes more sense because there's not as much devotion to their sexual lives um, before they get married as there is in the show. But Daphne knows a whole lot about sex to not know where babies come from, <laughs> which is odd. It's just very, it's very, the, the, the line that makes it very weird for me is like, I mean, it's weird enough that like her mom just can't tell her, but okay, I'll, I'll let that go. Suspension of disbelief. But when she, you know, she, she doesn't know about sex until he tells her about masturbation. She doesn't know what sex is before her mom talks to her the day before her wedding. And then she, when she's like, well, he can't nothing. have nothing. Yeah. But she's like, but she, She's like, but she's, but she, she knows, she seems to like not even know that sex is a thing that there's a, she knows that married people sleep in the same bed sometimes, but like beyond that knows nothing. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, I assumed he couldn't have sex because um, he said he couldn't have babies. And I'm like, what did you think? It becomes weird because I'm like, what did you think sex even was like? I don't. It was weird. It was just because I, I, and I've since watched that scene, those couple scenes again to see if I was just missing something. Oh. And no, it's just weird. It's just weird that she knows that she, I, I, if she, if she was completely clueless, which she actually kind of is in the book, then I'm fine with it. But like, I'm like, well, what, what exactly were the mechanics you're imagining? Is the question I have <laughs> because it, 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 she's it, like the oldest. A, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna say they make such a, a point of that though with like the sister, where the sister like busts in mm-hmm. and she's like, "Someone tell me where babies come from." And the brothers are all like making really inappropriate farm animal jokes and talking about brothels, and then mm-hmm. the mom like yells at them all, and it's like, so they're they're setting you up for this idea that like women have like literally no idea, right? Which is a convention of romance novels, of historical romance novels that women just knew nothing until they were getting married. But you would think then then their mom would explain it. Wait, wait, which is exactly why professors who literally say 18th century sexuality have critiqued about the show that like you think like like it is unreasonable that they would not know by the time they got married. And like there there are definitely 18th century novels like Evelina where like women are very naive and mm-hmm. get put into positions because of their naivete that like I mean there's a difference between naivete and not understanding basic facts about your own biology. But, because yeah. like the two women we see not getting shit are like the two oldest daughters in a family full of many children. Like, 
The idea that they would be like, okay, they don't get the mechanics of sex. There's like vagaries that they don't fully grasp. But the idea that they have literally no idea, like what the at one point the the younger I forget her name off the top of my head, Eloise. The second, Eloise talks about like basically pregnancy being contagious, right? Right. Like, oh god, as yeah. if she's not aware that a man is involved. Right. That's not in the book, by the way. Yeah. She, I mean, right. clearly Daphne knows that babies come out of vaginas because she's seen four other ones born. Right. Like she's seen her younger siblings, but she's, yeah, but she's, but I mean, she's clearly old enough. Well, maybe not, maybe not Eloise, but she's old enough over her youngest siblings that she remembers her mom getting fat and then a baby happening. Right. Like she can't not know that. (laughs) And it would have happened in the house. So she would have heard the screaming. Right. Yeah. And also I, I, to address the uh, confusion about sexuality, uh, Penelope, who I guess we can write off as saying, oh, she's lady whistled down, she's duplicitous, but Penelope is like, she's being super stupid. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then, but then, like, whistle down will put out uh, notices that say things like, congratulations and stamina. It's like, Penelope, how do you know right about stamina? Um, if you're clueless. Um, I have to believe Penelope's lying. I have to, be- oh, I have to believe that Penelope is lying. mimicking Eloise's ignorance, too, because oh. whistle down just knows stuff about sex that Penelope professes to not know so I, and i haven't been able to figure out exactly what she knows and because it, it like whistledown's column makes no sense about like all the stuff about well you know they suddenly went to the country you know um, and then were abroad but they came back with a baby whistledown says stuff like that all the time which is mm-hmm. clearly whistledown hinting at the fact that she was pregnant before they got married but then penelope seems to not know that but I, but is she just lying for eloise's benefit i don't know i don't know but dumb question is it possible that just like within this the the bridgerton universe that somehow it's just the bridgerton girls that are this bloody sheltered not not if you believe like penelope and also like i mean to be honest but but if it's like if it's considered a conversation that you wouldn't like penelope is trying to like hide her identity as mrs whistledown though and like if this is a, a, a taboo topic i could imagine like women not necessarily having this conversation outside of their families so mm-hmm. like if you're if the bridgerton like if her if the mom isn't telling them about this stuff like oh you think penelope's like oh well shit i'm not doing this yeah <laughs> i'll be dumb too because yeah okay maybe because like, well, like if, if they're, they're being they're being judged basically for like being alone in a room with a man so like i could totally see like if penelope shares with another family it becomes gossip even if she trusts eloise like i don't know because like i like i guess just a thought of like could it just be the bridgerton girls or I mean, just like, completely like because like, I mean, like, like, simon's a little surprised i mean if you're in society like you i mean I mean, take take like something like the lina um you you mm-hmm. like you you want to be innocent you don't want to be alone in a room with a man even if like dude is like proposing to you when when it's like appropriate if you think about prime prayers and everyone getting up for mr collins to make his little speech um you know there's there you, you that the, that's like the catch-22 of being like a woman in like the 18th 19th century it's like you have to be pure at all times but also sometimes you have to cross the line to like have your relationship go forward so you can do the things you're supposed to do and it's like this it's a strange like in between because women can never win as the show kind of addresses in the first couple of episodes um yeah like the, the sexuality is on this show um oh. they, yeah go ahead so i found it interesting that they they made nigel more of a villain in the tv series mm. well, as opposed so to just an idiot yeah he's just sort of well anyway that's off top 
No, it's not. It's just well, and that's kind of what I was saying about the the series. The series. One of the things that I think is interesting about it is, I mean, you, you talked about Anthony being the worst, and Anthony is the worst. But I think that, but for the youngest two, um, the youngest two Bridgerton children whose names escape me at this moment, Simpson um, Gregory. Thank you. Um, everybody else on the TV show, I have some reason to hate. From Daphne to, I mean, and again, I'm not uh, like, like no one is absolutely pure. Even Eloise, who is, you know, who's sort of presented as, no, I'm going to be a feminist. I'm going to have my own life. I'm going to have my own thing. You know, she's got a mean streak to her in, in, in the show that like, um, I mean, she's barely in the book. So I don't know. I don't know what happens in the later books. So she doesn't have that in the first book. And Daphne is, you know, she's got she's got conniving parts and the the rapist bit. Simon's not the greatest person. Anthony's an asshole. Colin, you know, like Colin betrays people like there's 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 lots of reasons to not like everybody. And I think that the show tries to make the it tries to make the point of everyone has good points and bad points. And the bad points can be really bad, even if society yeah. doesn't show them. And like, like, I think that's what they're trying to say. You know, they're uh, a perfect family, Nigel. but they all have secrets. Nigel, well, Nigel is just, they literally like Chris Van Dusen literally calls him an incel. Um, qualities there. Right. Um, but he's just, but in the book, he's just a blubbering idiot. He's just, I mean, the book, I think he's really in love with her. Just an idiot. I mean, he's only in like one real scene in the book. I, I don't I hope that they created a certain character to marry uh, another character who is a minor character because no one deserves to be married to Nigel in the series. <laughs> um, like, no, like, you know, uh, just, you know, thinking about like how preca- like it, what's strange to me about like loving the 18th century, 19th century as a romance genre is like world is precarious. You might not marry someone you love if you want a chance to get married. You might marry a bad man. <laughs> And being and being married is terrible if you're married to a bad man. Like, look at uh, the tent of Wellfell Hall, um, for example. And so, yeah. like, when, and Penelope mm-hmm. is like, you shouldn't entrap Colin. He's a good man. And Marina's like, well, what choice do I have? Should I perhaps entrap a bad man? And it's like, no, you don't want to entrap a bad man because you there is no escape for you. Well, I mean, right. sort technically maybe a little bit, but like you know, murder. Daphne's not. Even that way. She knows how to entrap a man. So, mm-hmm. like, it's back to what? Do, what do some people know, and what what do other people know? You know, Marina's black, though. Because Marina's been deflowered already that she mm-hmm. now knows how to entrap a man. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just being alone in a room with them is enough to entrap it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, she's also, but I was going to say, she, she does seem, because we haven't talked much about the race stuff and we're running out of time, but she does, Marina is more knowledgeable than all the Featheringtons and Bridgertons alike. Yeah. She just seems to know more, just in general. Presumably mm-hmm. because she's had sex and that makes people smarter. I don't know. Um, she's but, also experienced different class circumstances. Like I think, I think yeah, the, show, no. the show suggests that part of the reason she's more worldly is because she hasn't always been wealthy and in society. But it also, as Nicole pointed out before, she's one of the black characters, which mm-hmm. the show the show tries a little bit to try and, you know, have its cake and eat it too with race. Like it tries to be progressive by, by casting black characters and in this alternate universe history where, you know, racism has been quashed. 
and then it doesn't really it both tries to deal with race issues and then it tries to just kind of hand wash over them and say it's really about class except for all the lower class characters that have real speaking parts are black like there's there's right. some maids but they don't really matter right um you've got the boxer you've got the um the seamstress you've got marina like yes they're you know marina technically is noble i guess the queen's she, noble. she has a dowry but it's different. like and marina's story really uh reflect like i felt i was watching um a bit of like um the story of dido elizabeth bell who was a british heiress who was black um and there's a movie that's made about her called bell that i i would say it's fair to say it romanticizes her life with um her like her white family but in reality um and i i can put a link for those who want to hear more about um her story she was treated pretty poorly like like she did she was not equal with like her white the white members of her family mm-hmm. um so like to be an heiress and to be black was a different experience to be an heiress and to be white in the 18th and 19th centuries and um you know there's there's a novel called the woman of color that was written uh published in 1808 and it is not a jane austen novel it, it focuses on its main character olivia who is an heiress and a woman of color and how she experiences racism in england and it's 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 actually like an amazing novel broadview has a really great edition um you should all read it but that's not what this is about <laughs> so uh so Hannah, is there anything on your list that we didn't discuss that you really want to like bring up? Yeah, I, I, I do want to, and I, I guess this, I mean, transition by talking about the queen. I want to talk about the addition of Queen Charlotte. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and I think in his own episode specifically on like casting a historically accurate no. like racial representation. No. Um, Queen Charlotte, um, like many um, historians do believe that Queen Charlotte did have African ancestry. If you if you read um, some of the descriptions of Queen Charlotte, like people used racism to insult her. Um, so like like Bridgerton is taking it, it like she she was, you know, um, seen as a woman who was of mixed race, who was passing perhaps in like reality. But like Bridgerton, of course, reimagines her as like as I, I think one person put it, a black queen reigning as a black queen. Uh, and that is different, um, certainly, but it's not just a choice that they made with no historical basis whatsoever. There's a mm-hmm. pretty famous uh, portrait of her that if you if you look at it, she she has features that would lead you to believe that, that historians sort of use that as part of the evidence of, see, she looks mixed race. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just need to do a part two on Bridgerton. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I feel like this could be like another half an hour to really talk about it in yeah, depth. Well, but I'll tell you, I'm wondering if in season two, if they're going to have Anthony, if they're going to have his his uh, uh, partner also be uh, be black. I mean, it does. It does. The entire thing does create like a very interesting circumstance that like I wonder if. <laughs> Part of me wonders if they'd done more explicitly with it other than just sort of, you know, there's this one offhanded, 
Oh, and by the way, King George married a black woman, so racism doesn't exist anymore. Okay, so moving on. They like they that's kind of how much explanation the show gives it. Simon then says is BS. Um and mm-hmm. that, that the king could change his mind on a whim. Um mm-hmm. and and also, you know, points out that uh King George um quote, a mind, as we all know, is hanging by one loose and tenuous thread. Mm-hmm. And so he said love changes nothing. And actually, like I, I think some other people have alluded to this, but we all know that like this is kind of like a BS explanation because if we just look at Meghan Mar- Markle and Prince Harry's relationship mm-hmm. and how the British press have treated them. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, but that's, but that's what the show gives you. And then yeah. it does nothing with it really. I, I mean, it's just like, I wonder if like, cause I think I, Matt, I think it was you that noted that like this, uh, this season was more about like, I mean, obviously the romance and all the kids set issues we've talked about, but also like more of an emphasis on class than race. I'm wondering if they're going to do more with the racial aspect in the future seasons. I hope that they do because I think it's, like that that like scene with Simon, I think was one of the most interesting of the series, and it just goes nowhere. Right. It, there's it, one it, place it goes. Okay. Well, like 10 okay. seconds. For 10 seconds. Uh there's an there's a scene with Queen Charlotte where King George becomes lucid for a day. Oh for right. A and you see firsthand how he like he slowly regresses, and that like it shows you just how Simon actually is right, no matter how like much of the like TV show argues that love conquers all, and and yes, like that that is what it's supposed to do. But that like that scene goes against the grain that that the queen's position is actually more precarious than we might have assumed, given how she wields her power over others. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually one of the most interesting aspects of the show. Um, yeah. So we've resolved nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, we resolved, we've resolved that Bridgerton season two should do. Cool. Thanks. I think we've resolved that we need to do a part two because there's a lot that we did not get to get so into. Many so many things. Um, I mean, like the music. I just, I love. Oh, the music! So many yeah. The music is really good. What the about the empire? Where is the empire? Which it's mentioned one time about the colonies. I want to talk about uh, how they treat Simon Stammer. Well, we can't. I, we don't have the time today, but we, we yeah. will do it again. Yes, there's, it's definitely yeah, definitely worth um, certainly reconsidering as season two approaches us. So, <laughs> um, I want to thank our guests. We have this is a, this is a this is probably a long show, but it's, this is really interesting. Um, I'll start with Sarah, who didn't get to say as much because you know, hopefully, it's not as obvious through the magic of editing. But you know, you dropped in and out a couple times during the thing, but but you're still here now. I so did, thanks. and I am, and I'm here, and now I'm back in civilization. <laughs> I got in the car and just started driving, honestly. <laughs> well, that's cool. But thanks yeah. for thanks for doing this. And and well, it was really interesting because um I wasn't ex- I mean, I actually was planning on having Sarah on before when we were planning a show about like some environmental issues and then which we still haven't done yet. But then um you basically just had thoughts about you know around the same time that Hannah posted the blog for this Sarah just posted thoughts of her own just randomly about Bridgerton and it's like oh well you'd be perfect just because right yeah well I we didn't even get to talk about how like shitty of a tea she made to try to give herself an abortion which is really that's like oh, my God. That's so yeah. if we do number two I'm here for it <laughs> we're, we're doing part two it is done my, birth, my birthday is coming up and this is what I want Great. <laughs> It'll be Hannah's birthday episode. We will rant Talking about more weird Bridgerton. things. <laughs> right. 
more i mean i i i'm a boy and i really don't want to write the blog so this is going to be hannah hannah because i really don't want to say call for comments can tea cause an abortion not it <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not i'm just gonna say my birth well, medical professionals. we're talking about bridgerton again post your okay. thoughts here mm-hmm. <laughs> there are also multiple articles now from like medical professionals that are being like no don't oh, do this and, and and the show nicely does have the physician show up and it's like what the hell were oh. you thinking you know <laughs> which made me so happy because um like it showed what she put in the tea and i was like literally screaming at the tv like dandelion's not gonna do fuck like <laughs> right you know like you can absolutely there are things you might also kill yourself but you, you can kill right. a fetus with plants but like it's not cinnamon rose petals and dandelions for god's sake like it was also like she was making it from her the pantry like anything that is in your pantry is not gonna cut it like you are about to do like you're you're trying to create something that is literally life-threatening to you and your fetus like it's not, gonna not, it's not coming from the pantry yeah sorry <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical professional but even i get that okay, so, so tune in in like two weeks and we'll pick yeah. up about we'll be back yes excellent <laughs> sarah where can people find out more about the stuff that you actually do um well if you go to ecoboda.com you can see all the plants that i squish and then, oddly enough, um, but you're that dismissive of it. It's like, yeah, I squish plants. They're pretty. Um, and then, oddly enough, I haven't updated this in probably like four years, but I also had a blog that was sarahsexyplants.com. And it was literally about how you would use plants for sexual health and not health. So mm-hmm. it's kind of related, which is why, like I said, it's my cup of tea. <laughs> you, should, you, you should write a post about that. I mean, I like I'm, I'm probably the only person left subscribing because you're right. It's been four or five years since you have. Really ha- well, because I used to not work full time and now I do. And that apparently takes a lot of your life up. So. <laughs> uh, how are you working full time? There's a pandemic. Are there parks right now? <laughs> oh, my God. They make me go to. Uh, yeah, because I'm sp- I'm trying to teach all of the children, all of the third graders in multiple school districts virtually. And I want to die. <laughs> oh that sounds fun that's another show <laughs> Show, yeah i feel like at some point we just need a catharsis show of all the educators just <laughs> bitching about the horror about remote of distance things. learning yeah. Yeah. do we want it online uh, yeah. <laughs> nicole thanks for joining us anything you want to plug for having me <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm also I'm I'm on I'm on Twitter. I have a blog, although I I very sporadic um, or I'm currently doing if you're interested in poetry, you follow me on Facebook. I'm doing a year of poetry, new poems every day. Awesome. Mine just, you know, cool. good. <laughs> not that mine yeah, aren't good. That's not sub- terrible. So mm-hmm. you try to get people to submit to PCA. They've got like two weeks. Oh, right. PCA, the submission deadline. Oh my God. Now I don't even remember when it is. They I think it's moving. moved to the end of February. They keep moving it because it's going to be yeah. virtual. In fact, if you've ever considered doing it, um, now this is the year yeah. to do it because you're not, you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's really fun and any aspect of pop culture there's like a hundred more than a hundred different areas you could find uh something to present in if if you're interested i oversee the comics area and that covers anything related to comics whether comics graphic novels uh cartoons daily strips uh film etc so 
Sorry, and I would, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a, well, this show partly exists because of bar conversations after PCA, which I guess there won't be any of this year, but there'll be this show. So there'll um, be the show. So we'll just drag people. Right. February 28th is the deadline. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost certain there's going to be a lot of Bridgerton papers there this year. I, mean, I can't mm-hmm. see how there wouldn't be. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And Katya. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at just that nerd kid when I return to the internet. <laughs> when you return to the internet. <laughs> I haven't sewn any like I've been I've okay, I've been sewing a little bit. I've been sewing some things, but I haven't posted anything since I think like December or something or other. So just, you know. And then there was it'll a pan- come back. And then there was a pandemic and Katya returned to her home planet. Um <laughs> Palindrome, <laughs> Palindrome I mean, Hannah. I am headed back to Oregon, so yeah. that's kind of similar. Mav, you know what I want to plug. I know you want to plug it, but this is your opportunity to plug it. All right. Uh, If you have the funds, please consider donating to your local food bank because I have nothing worth plugging. Um, And also because it's the right thing to do. Um, (laughs) There's a link to Feeding America in in the show notes. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show in all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we regularly talk about whatever we're going to be talking about next week, which I believe next week is... Sex, sex and super yeah, sex and superhero sto- shows and comics and stuff, and you know it's going to be a really inter- interesting conversation about what are the best superpowers to have sex with and why is it super stretching. Um, we're going to talk about it's going to be it's going to be fun. <laughs> so anyway, if you're not subscribed to the blog, please do, and if you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from, and do us a favor, leave us a five star review, especially. Especially on iTunes, if you give us a five star review, not just a five star rating that tweaks the algorithm, helps people find the show and it makes us feel good. And you can just like you can just write about how much you love Bridgerton and how you can't wait to see it, hear us talk about it again. Or you can write about super sex. I don't know. Just give us a re- review. It helps us know what to talk about next. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which you can find a link to in the show notes. This is a chance to not only see the show on YouTube, but to get um, images of whatever we're talking about and, you know, things that are happening in the future. And, oh, I'm going to I'm going to pimp something else that's not the regular show plug um, this week. As you listen, I think if I've done podcast time travel right, I am on friend of the show, Andrew Dorowski and Kester Dorowski's, their podcast, Disney Animation Movie Essentials. Um, no, minute it's a Disney animated minute. I don't know. I'm on the damsel podcast um, <laughs> with, the, with the Dorowski's. Um, they've both been on this show. We are they're doing an analysis of the movie Little Mermaid one minute at a time. Every episode covers one minute of the movie. Um, That's I, amazing. It's amazing. So they had me on. You know, we, it's weird because we recorded it a couple of months ago, but they're now it, it's a daily show. So I'm on all the this week as we listen talking about the three minutes where kiss the girl happens and <laughs> it's amazing it's a it was a great conversation i had a lot of fun and you should subscribe to that podcast anyway because if you think we analyze stuff to death in a fun way you know we just talked about an eight episode tv series um 
in you know for an hour they'll sit there and talk about a minute at a time for like 90 episodes and like and they do interesting stuff like they broke the movie little mermaid's one of my favorite disney movie or at least it was until andrew pointed out that the biggest flaw in the entire show is that ariel doesn't know what a fork is which would be fine, except for her father carries a trident with him everywhere he goes. And, he, and she should just think it's a tiny trident. What the fuck is wrong with her? And it just ruined the entire show. And I'm like, ah. But you get interesting commentary like that from that from that podcast. So everybody should listen to that. And, and also some guests you might recognize who are not Mav. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we... 30 years of life did that not occur to me uh, yeah it, it really it really, <laughs> it really irritated me but anyway so everybody should listen to their to their show and everybody should listen to our show subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify where we'll help get podcasts from like I said and I want to thank once again Sarah and Nicole for joining us I want to thank you at home for listening I want to thank Maximilian of Vaughtmore Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out and we'll see you next time bye Yours truly, Lady Whistledown.